Today's episode of Dog Nation Daily is brought to you by Pella Window and Door of Georgia, viewed to be the best. Presented by DogNation.com, this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Here's your host, Brandon Adams. All right, I am almost certainly going to regret what I'm about to do, but yet I feel like it's important that we do it anyway. What I am talking about here is engaging in a conversation related to UGA recruiting that is frankly the kind of thing that seems to generate fairly predictable responses. We're going to talk here for a moment about some recruiting misses that Georgia has endured over the course of the last couple of days. The reason why I don't like this conversation in general is because on topics like this, to use a modern phrase here for a moment, there's clout to be chased on both sides. When Georgia doesn't get a recruit that some fans at one point in time thought they might, knowing how important Georgia recruiting is, how important all recruiting is to the lifeblood of college football, it's very easy to establish for yourself some attention, to get some eyeballs on your tweet or your message board post or whatever else by essentially casting some sort of doom and gloom over George recruiting. And woe is me. Things are terrible. They're only going to get worse. Knowing how important recruiting is, that gets the ire of fans up. That gets the emotions of fans up. And when people kind of go doom and gloom on the subject of recruiting, there's a little bit of clout to be chased on that side. However, there's also a little bit of clout to be chased on the other side of this discussion. And frankly, I find this just as distasteful and annoying as what I just described to you, which is when Georgia does have a miss, there are these people who are like, ah, you people are always so worried about Georgia recruiting. And there is kind of a popular sort of meme that Georgia recruiting fans have uh, kicked around the last few years, the whole idea of what's wrong with Georgia recruiting. That was a topic on our message board like five years ago when it kind of continues to kind of be the kind of thing that some Georgia fans in a good natured way sort of laugh at. But, but you know, there's also this sense of exaggerating it that no matter what happens for Georgia on the recruiting trail, it's somehow always proof that Kirby's master plan is just coming together just outside the field of vision, just off to the periphery everything's working out exactly what Kirby Smart has planned it. There's no such thing as bad news in recruiting uh, when it comes to recruiting news because it's all just coming together and those who haven't noticed that yet are just too simple to see it or whatever the argument is. So when Georgia does not get a player that some Georgia fans wanted Georgia to get or when Georgia's not really that much of a factor in a recruit that a lot of fans kind of had their eyeballs on at some point in time, it kind of brings out a little bit of a... <laughs> I won't say what I want to say here, but it, it kind of brings a, a little bit of an annoying conversation on both sides of that coin. Yet, nonetheless, sometimes, you know, honesty compels us to to, to move the conversation there this way. So here's what we're going to rattle through here for a moment. Here are all of the recruiting news headlines over the course of the weekend that eh, kind of had Georgia fans a little concerned here for a moment. First of all, you had the IMG Academy situation, starting with the defensive backs. Dalen Everett, a name that we've talked about before. I've asked Jeff, Jeff Sintel about Dalen Everett, a couple of different times when he's joined us in the show it wasn't really thought that Georgia was a major player down the uh down the you know the to the final days for uh, Dalen Everett but at one point in time I think Georgia at least had their eyes on Everett a little bit he as he says there on Twitter what is that number is that a hundred thousand percent committed I always love the arms race of how committed players are it started off obviously 110 percent then it's 125 percent now we're to a hundred thousand percent committed I feel like at some point in time, we've kind of lost the plot of what the percentage of uh, commitment is actually supposed to be. But nonetheless, Everett there announces his pledge to Clemson. And if you saw the video on this, Dalen Everett actually did a Trey Walker style hat toss uh, uh, here on this. Um, he actually did uh, a North Carolina hat. So if you want to find out just how much North Carolina stature has grown as a college football program in, in the last couple of years, all of a sudden we're to the point now where um, a guy like uh, Everett committing to Clemson would do a North Carolina hat toss before he does. Mac Brown's got the Tar Heels swimming a little bit deeper waters, even if they're a program eligible for that kind of trolling. Because at one point in time, they wouldn't even been a hat on the table. Now that they're, they're the program getting trolled, so that's at least kind of interesting. So Everett chooses Clemson, his high school teammate Keon Sab does the same thing he chooses Clemson there as well as I said before this is another example of a guy at one point in time some Georgia fans might would have had their eye on late in the process that seemed all but a pipe dream and for the most part it kind of works out there that way the two IMG defensive backs not really seeing Georgia as a huge factor in the final days of their recruitment at least the best that I can tell 
Then there's Tyler Booker, uh, an offensive lineman from IMG uh, Academy, another guy that uh, we've talked to Jeff Sintel before about. Jeff has written about Tyler Booker there at DogNation.com. Yeah, you can throw that back up there on the screen again. Uh, Booker makes his commitment to Alabama over the course of the weekend. One of the things that he put out on Twitter recently, this actually is kind of a cool thing. Uh, Booker, as a young man, with a photo there at uh, Alabama football camp with Nick Saban, and then later on as a recruit ready to make his pledge. I think it's funny for those of you watching on video that you you see Saban trying to go relaxed here with the untucked. <laughs> I don't think anything says failed attempt at relaxation more than Saban with an untucked short sleeve dress shirt. First of all, if you wear a short sleeve dress shirt, I mean, that already kind of, you know, <laughs> I'm not quite so sure that's giving off the vibe you want to give of kind of like a relaxed guy in your home. I don't think nothing says like mental management level bureaucrat more than like short sleeve dress shirt. It's also funny that while it's untucked, you can clearly see the creases from where it just kind of came unfolded out of a dry cleaner bag. So Saban tries to go relax with the untucked short sleeve dress shirt, but I'm not quite so sure that's fooling anybody there on that front. But nonetheless, Tyler Booker does commit uh, to Alabama, and that's all from the 2022 class. Then there was the 2023 situation. Once again, Georgia was not really that big of a factor in this decision late. Trayon Webb, the 2023 five-star, at one point in time had been a Georgia commit. And over the course of the weekend, with kind of a very little fanfare, at least on the Georgia side of things, he announced his uh, pledge to Alabama. Not Alabama, excuse me, uh, to Oklahoma uh, on Twitter. Kind of give you the boomer sumer on that. I think at one point in time, he also, on one of his videos or something, kind of gave the horns down thing there, too. So he's obviously having a good time with his status as an Oklahoma commit for the class of 2023. This was kind of as expected, but it's one of those things there as well where here we are, you know, in this summer of july of 2022 when there was supposed to be a lot of positive momentum for the georgia recruiting program and instead with very little fanfare recruits for the class of 2022 and 2023 that georgia was thought to at one point in time be involved with kind of make their pledges and up until the announcement there's really very little little reason for georgia fans to be paying attention to any of these decisions whatsoever and then there's this i don't revel in saying this but it's one of those things that if you're paying close attention to social media or message boards, you have a hard time not noticing this. That at one point in time, when you look ahead to Thursday, this upcoming Thursday, it was thought to potentially be a big day for Georgia because of two prospects who are getting ready to make their announcements. Obviously, four-star running back Branson Robinson. We'll talk more about him in a moment. And the, uh, we'll call him an edge rusher, denied Dennis Sutton out of the uh, Baltimore area there as well, who was maybe going to choose Georgia over Penn State. But as of late, those in Nittany Lion Nation, if that is indeed a thing, they have certainly seemed to put a little bit more base in their voice about talking about the possibility that DDS here late in the process is actually trending towards uh, uh, you know Penn State more than he was of the day. In fact, I'll show you one of these uh, Penn State fan site type deals who says that Steve Wiltfong, who's a national recruiting reporter for 24-7 Sports, has increased his confidence on his crystal ball pick for denying Dennis Sutton to Penn State. And obviously, uh, Penn State fans kind of celebrating that, and there was a lot of that kind of thing chatter here over the course of the weekend. So what do you do with this if you're a Georgia fan? Well, I think on the one hand, you have to kind of acknowledge that when you have a couple of defensive backs and offensive linemen, a 2023 five-star athlete, likely maybe a running back there at the next level, um, a guy that a lot of Georgia fans had circled and denied Dennis Sutton, maybe especially the Dennis Sutton thing, because that really does. I mean, it's one thing to say Tyler Booker, because as of right now, I'm not quite so sure how much a position of need offensive line really is. But edge rusher with the likely departures of guys like Adam Anderson and Nolan Smith, maybe off this current team for 2022, that outside linebacker edge rusher spot, there's a big need for Georgia for that class of 2022. And if so, if denied Dennis Sutton is kind of moving the other way, then for a lot of Georgia fans, that didn't seem like such great news really, you know, in relationship to all of this. And so I guess you're kind of left to wonder, well, what is it that you do about all of this? So let me say a couple of things here really, really quickly for a moment. First of all, I just rattled off a decent amount of what seems like bad news, not catastrophic news, not apocalyptic news, but you know, for as much as you can have legitimate recruiting news here in July, that seems like a little bit of bad news for Georgia in the 2022s and the 2023s who've kind of gone the other way, at least for right now. However, Georgia fans may not have to wait very long for uh, some good recruiting news because Thursday is still the day that Branson Robbins will make his pledge. And this is one of those rare recruiting situations, and we talked to Jeff Sintel about this on Friday's show, where there doesn't seem to be a lot of 
mystery about Robinson ahead of his upcoming decision. He has made no bones uh, about the fact that he very much likes what Georgia brings to the table for him, very much likes everything that could be in store for him if he chooses Athens on Thursday, which many people think he would. In fact, if you're a Georgia fan kind of still reeling from the IMG guys and Trayon Webb and what may or may not be going on with Deny Dennis Sutton, uh, let the words of Branson Robinson and his feelings about Georgia maybe let this wash over you for a moment as a way of making you feel a little bit better. Here is uh, Robinson with Jeff from earlier earlier this summer it's no secret now it's number one right now but uh you know i just want to get the feel for everything i just want to go down there see how everything is because you know i just don't want to if i commit there i just don't want to be the first time i go down there after i commit you know i want to see how everything is that's all that is so that's robinson before he took his visit all indications are the visit that Robinson took to UGA went very well, so much so that whatever feelings that Robinson would have had about Georgia that he described there were even intensified by his time on Georgia's campus. Something else that our uh, Jeff Sintel has gotten Branson Robinson to talk about a little bit more, too, is some of the reasons why he feels that connection to UGA, including a tight bond that he has with Georgia's running backs coach, Del McGee. You've heard this before, but Robinson saying these things. Uh, a month or two ago, ahead of a decision coming up on Thursday, especially on the heels of Georgia, kind of dealing with a little bit of bad news right now. Once again, this is kind of a nice thing to hear. Here's Branson Robinson once again. Why is Georgia still your number one? Uh, it's just the relationship with, you know, different coaches, you know, Coach Smart, you know, Coach McGee, pretty much the whole coaching staff. And it's just the bond that I got, especially with Coach McGee. How would you describe your relationship with Coach McGee? He's more like another father, I would say. So I won't hide my agenda on this. Having an idea that UGA fans could use a little dose of good news on the, in the wake of some of the bad news over the course of the last couple of days, a reminder of Robinson's feelings about Georgia ahead of his decision coming up on Thursday, that seemed like kind of a, a wise thing to do. However, let me just say one more thing about this there, too. Because ultimately, when you watch the stuff play out over the course of the last couple of days and the Georgia fan responds to this, here's what I'm reminded of. And I'll tell you a quick personal story for a moment at the risk of being somewhat self-serving. This program, Dog Nation Daily, presented by Pella Window and Door of Georgia, started in August of 2015. And thankfully, we kind of found an audience pretty quickly there in that process. That was kind of a fun thing to watch play out. However, there was a moment during the 2016 season, you'll remember that as an 8-5 campaign with some pretty ugly losses in year one of Kirby Smart, where and I don't talk about numbers a lot and you don't care about those kinds of metrics, but obviously it's how I make a living. So it's very important to me. And as you're watching those numbers for the show in 2016 during the season, the numbers started going down and they were going down in a way that made me very, very nervous. I'm just not going to lie to you. I was very nervous about the way in which the audience response was happening during that 2016 season when George wasn't doing very well on the field. And then something kind of amazing happened. The moment the season ended, and this is pretty spectacular, actually. We weren't on video back then. It was just podcast only. The moment the season ended, the numbers dramatically changed. They spiked in a huge way for the show the day the season ended. I'm talking about they went like a bullet, like in some cases, you know, even doubling what you had been doing for some of the shows during the season. And obviously the reason why is because the content for the most part changed. Once the season was done, you're able to focus in on what ended up being a number three signing class for Georgia way back there in 2017. Now, my reason for telling you this is, is because it seems fairly obvious that back in that time of the early days of Kirby Smart, 2016 season, transitioning into year two in 2017, when Smart had his real big breakthrough in recruiting for the very first time, I think it's safe to say, based on the response from Georgia fans, and I think they're somewhat accurate in their viewpoint on this, that at the time for Georgia, recruiting success was more important than on-field success. That Georgia wasn't going to sort of scratch and claw its way to a national championship based on what it was doing on-field in 2016. It just didn't have the roster to get there. But by 2017, when you started bringing in some of the kinds of big-time players as recruits, freshmen, think about Jake Fromm as a quarterback, Andrew Thomas as a starting right tackle that year in 2017, that you're bringing in the kind of talent that would give you a chance to make the college football playoff in 2017. That those recruiting wins that Georgia got in the recruiting class of 2017 were actually more important than anything that happened for Georgia on field in 2016. So if that was true way back then, here's what I think you're seeing now, that all of a sudden that while recruiting still matters and it's still the lifeblood of any program UG included, we've actually reversed where Georgia used to be. And all of a sudden now, for a program that has recruited well in 17, 18, 19, 20, and the class of 2021 that was just signed, all of a sudden now what you do with those players on the field for 2021 actually matters now more than what you do with the 2022 recruiting class. That somehow, some way, that if you have the kind of success on the field you're supposed to have, 
that will set you up for the kind of recruiting success Georgia fans have come accustomed to enjoying with this program. And if you don't take care of business on the field, then you may not have quite as many recruiting wins as you're used to seeing for UGA. It's one of the reasons why, even though we ignore those who say it's now or never for Georgia when it comes to winning a national championship, we think that's fairly ludicrous. But we don't deny the idea that there is a little bit of growing pressure on Georgia to have better end-of-season results than it's had the last couple of years. And I think these recruiting stories kind of bear that out. Recruits want to see the potential that was promised for UGA come to full fruition on the field, to give you too many alliterations. But that's what recruits want to see. They want to see that. And this may be the fall that Georgia provides that. I think the Georgia coaches and players know that's what's kind of required of them here to make good on the potential that's been described. And if they take care of their business on the field, some of the recruiting losses the last couple of days could truly be distant memories by the time the actual hay is in the barn for the class of 2022. My name is Brandon Adams, and this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans, presented today by Pelo Window Indoor Georgia. And glad to have us, no matter how you get to us today, live on video, 10 a.m., Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Twitch, from the radio at noon on Athens Sports Radio 960 The Ref. We're also on the website there as well. At this point in time, I think we're kind of graduating beyond this just kind of being a, uh, a soft open. I think we're actually getting to the point now where this is kind of becoming our thing, a new platform, new way for you to experience the show each and every day right there on the pages of dognation.com. This is amazing technology. It's the kind of thing that wasn't available to us, you know, however long ago, but uh, our crack staff behind the scenes have worked hard to make it a thing, and we're able to present you this show on a platform you're already going to every day anyway. That's dognation.com. Really, really cool stuff, and really, really proud to be able to say that. By the way, huge thanks to our friends at Pella Window Indoor of Georgia. If it were not for our great sponsors, we would not have the great outreach that we're able to provide to make this show available to so many people each and every day. So big thanks to them for making that be the case, and a big reminder to you that for your own home, one of the things that's going to increase your happiness inside your home and make your home look better on the outside are more energy efficient windows and doors. It's just time to upgrade. It's time to get what you and your home deserve. And that's what Pella Window and Door of Georgia can provide you. You can reach out to them. You'll get a no pressure consultation. They'll give you expert advice on exactly what you need for your home, all the installations options, and they're going to give you great savings as well. You can currently replace all your windows with payments as low as $99 a month. That's based on a $10,000 purchase at 84 months uh, uh, payback if you qualify there on that. So please make sure you uh, check all that out. A couple different ways to get in touch. Phone number 678-638-1496. That's 678-638-1496. Or you can visit them online, PellaofGA.com slash DogNation. PellaofGA.com slash DogNation. Pella Window and Door of Georgia's view to be the best. Just do me a favor. Let them know the BA from Dog Nation Daily told you they would take good care of it because I know they will. Someone else is going to take good care of us today is going to be our buddy John Stinchcomb. We'll talk some SEC with him coming up in a moment. Before that, though, I want to squeeze in a very quick version of Around the Doghouse, assisted today by our friends at AAA. And as a preview of our conversation with John, I thought John's brother, Matt, very funny the other day, making an appearance on Sirius XM radio with Peter Burns there on the radio. And obviously, SEC Media Day starts today. And I'll be there there in Hoover, Alabama later on this week. We're obviously going to talk a lot about these proceedings here this week. But Peter Burns and Matt Stinchcomb the other day, we're kind of having some fun at what might a Kirby Smart appearance sound like at the uh, podium here this week in Hoover, Alabama. Matt Stinchcomb, the great former dog, the brother of John Stinchcomb, who joins us each week here on our show, does a pretty good Kirby Smart impersonation. I think this is pretty funny here. So as we go around the doghouse, assisted by AAA, take a listen. Peter Burns with Matt Stinchcomb. Stinch nailing his Kirby Smart impersonation. This is pretty funny. Give me 30 seconds of Kirby Smart's introduction of his presser when he finally takes to the podium over here at SEC Media Days coming up next week. All right, all right guys. Well, I'm um, uh, really excited to be here in Hoover. Um, you know, back here in the Winfrey Hotel. Uh, it's a beautiful setup. You know, we love the lobby, that marble lobby down there. I saw a guy, I think I saw Bear Bryant uh, down there, which I didn't think was possible because I'm pretty sure Coach Bryant, he clawed his heat. Yeah, Coach Bryant's dead. Um, but I saw a guy down there looks just like him. Um, and no, the Bama fans didn't even pay any attention to him because, as you know, you know Coach Saban's one more than the Bear. Uh, so the worms turned. I'm surprised. I never thought I'd see that or say that. So that went on for a couple more minutes. It's actually really funny. I'll, I'll put a link to this. 
when we post the show later on dognation.com. We wrote about this in the day there as well. It, it's pretty funny stuff. Uh, and it's inside baseball. But the funniest part of the clip that I just played for you might be the kind of aside where Kirby Asclaw felt in the question. There's a lot of that that goes on in the Kirby Smart press conferences. You'd have to watch a lot of those things to maybe be fully aware of that. But there's some kind of uh, pretty inside baseball, pretty funny stuff with Matt Stinchcomb when it comes to his Kirby Smart impersonation. I'll also say with uh, all, all fairness that uh, it, it, like I feel like at the very beginning of that, it's hard to maintain it impersonation for a long time a couple minutes come a long time to do one but the very beginning when he comes out of the gate I mean I think he really gives you a pretty good little Kirby vibe there especially the way that he says Hoover I feel like he nails that pretty good so pretty good stuff from uh, Matt Stenchcomb all the way around that is around the doghouse it's assisted today by our friends at AAA and of course as I drive to Hoover Alabama later on this week one of the things I'm always thinking about is Listen, if the car breaks down on the side of the road, I'm sure many of you are not surprised to hear that I am not Mr. Fix-It when it comes to stuff like this. And so I'm really thankful for AAA, their legendary roadside assistance. I've been a AAA member for a long time. It also saves me money on like hotels and things like that when I'm on the road. I really like that there as well. But that's not the only way AAA can save you money. When you switch and save your auto insurance with AAA, yes, auto insurance. If you think AAA, I want you to think auto insurance because when you switch and save with AAA, you can save on average $529. That's a big deal. Uh, it's nice to have that extra money in your pocket there. So check out AAA.com slash auto insurance. That's AAA.com slash auto insurance. You can switch and save with AAA today. Hey, y'all, it's Brandon Adams. Sorry for the bait and switch. We normally have John Stinchcomb on at this time. We got a weird thing happen with our phone system in our studio today, and it is incredibly frustrating, but sometimes that is just the way that it is. And so today, no John Stinchcomb interview. So let me do this. After I tell you this, we're going to roll on the rest of the show. We'll do a version of our SEC through. We'll wrap up Golden Shoe Gatorator Countdown. Then I'm going to do some extended comments as a way of just kind of making up for the lack of interview here today. I think we've got it fixed now for tomorrow. It's just always something. You know how it goes. So that's squared away, hopefully ready to go. Um, and I apologize for the issue here today. It's always you know kind of frustrating when the week doesn't start off on the note that you want it to. But that's what we dealt with here today. So some extended comments. I'll do a little bit more on the recruiting topic that I just started the show with here today. So really appreciate you being here. It means a ton to me that you support us and show up here every day i just am so grateful for that hopefully we make good use of your time so check out the sec through preview of sec media days and then we will dive into your comments after that thanks for being with us let's take a look around the rest of the league this is sec through very interesting stuff going on at hoover alabama this week when it comes to the sec media days and some of this involves a pretty interesting story popping up at Sports Illustrated today from Ross Dellinger about a little bit of a power, I don't know you call this, like a tug of war for power or, or whatever here, but uh, but some governance changes may be coming the way of college sports here. Uh, very interesting reporting from Ross Dellinger on this. This is something that Greg Sankey, as we're recording this show live today, as we're doing the show live on video, Sankey's going to give his State of the League address here in a moment. And at that point in time, we're going to hear some things about you know, what's going on with the league. And obviously one of the things that's going to be asked is very interesting reporting coming from Ross Dellinger here about maybe some feelings that the time for change is now when it comes to the NCAA on the heels of the NCAA losing badly in front of the Supreme Court. And for the people who kind of follow that kind of stuff related to the recent amateurism, you know, uh, thing that went down there related to the extra academic benefits that it was almost a, uh, a hearing in front of the Supreme Court that the NCAA had asked for. So in addition to being a being a legal loss, it was also a strategic loss because the NCAA pushed to have this case heard by the Supreme Court, thinking they may get some 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 form of uh, assistance from the uh, from the Supremes. And as it turns out, no, it was a total trouncing, you know, Alabama versus Vanderbilt style beatdown in front of the uh, halls of the highest judicial body in our country. And so since then, you know, the NCAA, Mark Emmert, the uh, the leader of that body, not you know, very popular anyway before this, kind of even worse since then. And so this is what Ross Dellinger writes in Sports Illustrated. i read you a little bit. He says that in interviews with Sports Illustrated over the last several weeks, the commissioner, meaning that's SEC Commissioner Greg Sankey, has suggested the need for a new governance model for college sports and has lobbied for more autonomy for the Power Five conferences and has chided the top policymaking group in the association, the NCAA Board of Governors, for its lack of transparency and resistance to change. He says his frustrations have boiled over, producing shots that for some have left holes in the NCAA's broadside. Jabs the organization's accountability, pace, and leadership. For instance, he described college football playoff governance as, quote, 
productive and constructive and then quipped, it ought to be the model for the NCAA to follow, which is really interesting because a lot of folks understand this. A lot of folks don't that the college football playoff is completely separate from the uh, NCAA. The NCAA, while it, you know, awards national championships at like the FCS level and the other levels of football and all the other sports there as well. The NCAA really has no hand in how college football is decided. I'm talking about the, the high level of college football, FBS level of college football at all that the closest that sport has to a governing body is the college football playoff because that's all the the various leagues coming together kind of form a group and they do seem to to operate it's really the only time you get any form of unity in college football right there had to be some cooperation at the college football playoff to come together you know to begin with to get the votes you needed to even establish the 14 playoff back in 2014 so essentially what Sankey is alluding to with uh, Ross Dellinger from Sports Illustrated is he likes Bill Hancock's leadership of the college football playoff and the way that the, the various conferences worked underneath that umbrella a lot more than he likes what's going on at the NCAA. You know, I think a lot of folks may wonder, what does this, what does this mean for the average fan? I think that a lot of that's still yet to be determined. But here's the one thing I think you can say from all of this, and I'm sure we'll hear more of this from Sankey. And what may be interested, interesting is after Greg Sankey speaks, what comes after that? The analysis and the leaks and the, the 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 aftermath, whatever Sankey says at SEC Media Days here today, I think the aftermath of this is going to be what's interesting. That if the last decade of college football was defined by the pursuit of money, conference realignment, the chasing of the college football playoff, you know, maybe even the the leading up until now, the expansion of the college football playoff. If we kind of define the inner workings, the behind the scenes maneuverings, we kind of define all of that related to to, to pursuit of money, that is not what I think the next decade of college athletics is going to be. We're, you know, right now, if you're you know a conference level administrator, if you're you know athletic director, a big time coach, whatever else, everybody's rich, right? I, I don't think the next decade of college sports is going to be about the pursuit of money as much as it's going to be about the pursuit of power. And I think there are certain people in the corridors of power, like the SEC, for instance, or maybe even like the Big Ten there as well, who have tolerated other people other than them having a certain degree of power, a certain degree of decision-making authority. And I think the tolerance of that is now very, very low. There was a new phrase that kind of grew in popularity a little bit a year or two ago. I think you're going to start hearing this word a lot more. Sometimes we refer to the SEC, the Big 12, the Big 10, the Pac-12, and the ACC as the Power Five. But a couple of years ago, instead of calling them the Power Five, we started calling them the Autonomy Five. Not we, but certain people started calling them the Autonomy Five. Uh, I think it was even Greg Sankey who kind of even popularized that phrase, if I'm remembering correctly. But this notion that that group ought to have its freedom to do what it wants to do. And you see this play out in football a lot of ways. But there are other sports where this kind of matters there as well, you know. Think about baseball for a moment, where most of the NCAA is against adding the extra assistant coaches to baseball the way that the SEC has wanted to do now for quite some time. There are other examples of that and other of the kind of what you might think of as non-revenue type sports, that there is a lot of things that a league like the SEC would like to do for all of its sports, but within the framework of the NCAA, it's just not quite as possible to do. It certainly seems like as a brand, as a, as a governing model, as a, as a functioning body, the NCAA is all but broken, and now it's a matter about what comes next, power in the hands of people, maybe like a Bill Hancock, like a Greg Sankey, who I have to say in almost every instance I can think of are more des deserving of that decision-making power, but we'll certainly follow that. As far as what happens on the field, I think it's going to be really interesting at SEC Media Days here this week because of the starting with the coaches who are speaking today. And, you know, this is one of those things where, and I was talking to our video audience before, we had, you know, obviously technical difficulties trying to get John Stinchcomb on the phone today, and that didn't quite work out. So I was kind of filling some time on video. We're talking about the, the questions facing Dan Mullen. And what I was saying at the time was, I'm very curious to see the, the tone of, of the questions to Mullen. We're going to kind of be the tone police a little bit this week when it comes to SEC media days of who's facing a more positive tone, who's facing kind of a negative tone. Does the tone of the questions in the big room for the coaches, does that match the larger narrative around them? And I, I do think for Mullen, because last year you provided a lot of evidence for the positive. He wins the SEC East. He beats Georgia. You know what? You can laugh at this if you want to, but he really did play. His team played a fairly close game against Alabama. That there's some way in which you can kind of spin the year from Mullen a year ago towards the positive. But there's also kind of a way in which, when you think about the three losses to close out the season, four losses in total for what's supposed to be a breakout year for the Florida program, some very odd, poorly received remarks post game from Mullen a couple of t uh, times a year ago. 
that he could get some somewhat negative questions and deciding is it more positive, more negative for Mullen here on this particular day when he speaks? I think that's probably going to be a, a pretty interesting thing all the way around. Also, uh, I think Ed Orgeron, who speaks there today uh, at SEC Media Days as well, I think is very much the same kind of thing. And for Orgeron, I mean, some of this is on the field. They were five and five a year ago. Some other things about this are kind of off the field. There's been some, you know, some Title IX issues there at LSU. There's been some unpleasant accusations, uh, strong allegations of improper behavior within the athletic department that Orgeron's been kind of mixed up in, you know, there as well. I think it remains to be seen how all that's going to play out. Some of that's related to Orgeron. And, you know, for the most part, I'll keep, you know, my thoughts on this more towards the on-field part for Orgeron than the off-the-field part because I'm not in Baton Rouge. I'm not really quite sure exactly how all of that off-field stuff is playing out here at the moment. But I think it's important to remember that for Orgeron as recently as a couple of years ago, he actually really went on the offensive at SEC media dates at a time in which it kind of seemed like, you know, uh, erroneous to do so. You know, after the 2017 season when uh, LSU had lost to Alabama with 10 to nothing, you know, played them well defensively, but could not score points. Had the game been three hours long, they would have never, you know, didn't seem like they had any chance of scoring points. But Orgeron comes to SEC Media Days the following summer and says that he felt like his team was closing the gap on Alabama. And they kind of got some chuckles and kind of got some laughs. And in 2018, LSU lost Alabama again. Also, once again, didn't score any points against Alabama. But lo and behold, in 2019, they're going into Baton Rouge. They're, you know, they're beating Alabama. They're winning the national championship. Orgeron had a chance to flex post-game after all of that. And it seems like what he said there you know, going into the 2018 season was proven true at some point in time in the 2019 season. That this has been a coach who's been willing to go on the offensive before uh, when it comes to some of his thoughts there at SEC Media Day. So with a team this year coming off a fairly you know unimpressive record a year ago, but one of those teams that is somewhat thought to potentially be, uh, you know, uh, maybe a, a breakout team a little bit here this year, how much confidence does Orgeron speak about when it comes to his team. One of the things he's alluded to as of late is maybe a resolution sooner rather than later to this quarterback decision that's ongoing. You know, Orgeron not, you know, some coaches like to play dumb when it comes to quarterback decisions of, I have no idea who the best guy is going to be. We'll have to figure that out. Orgeron, as of late, is almost taking a slightly different tack than what a lot of coaches would do. Uh, he's almost, and I don't want to put words in his mouth, but paraphrasing what he said, it's almost like Orgeron's line has been, we all know who the best quarterback is. We're just going to demonstrate it to y'all through practice or games or whatever else. And so uh, that's just a little bit different kind of way that Orgeron has described his quarterback situation. I've told you before, I believe it's Max Johnson who will be the starting quarterback for LSU. And if it's the Johnson that we saw at the end of last season, there's some reason for Tigers fans to have some confidence there. So I think it'll be interesting to see how much of that confidence Orgeron puts on display at SEC Media Day's there today all right some of you know this that um when it comes to social media stuff there's one thing i will always love and that is a football player dunking a basketball there's nothing better than me than a recruit or an actual player or whatever else if it's a football player dunking a basketball there's just something about the power that comes from seeing um someone like that throw it down that i just love example of that 2021 football signing for Georgia David Daniel putting this out there on Twitter. Good looking defensive back in the future, but he's got some uh, hoop game there as well. Look at him going with the windmill, kind of lean, a mean, lean dunk right there. That is phenomenal by David Daniel. I, I'm telling you what, right now, I was. I was very, very pleased to see that on social media. Good stuff from Daniel all the way around. In fact, we'll make David Daniel our golden shoe winner for today for uh, getting his shoes up in the air for a big dunk like that. Also, Gator Hater Countdown, how about 100 and, what, three days from right now? 103 days from right now? That's your Gator Hater Countdown. We'll see you tomorrow. Dog Nation Daily, presented by Pella, window and door of Georgia. And on the podcast, time now for the R.S. Andrews podcast to cool down, where I'm going to take some of your comments. I'm going to kind of cheat here a little bit. As I told you before, uh, you know, I want to do some extended comments today because of the, the weirdness of the show. And I actually want to reach into a different place to pull some of these. Connor Riley, my Dog Nation colleague, wrote a story at DogNation.com over the course of the weekend leading into the Keon Sab and Dalen Edward commitments to Clemson and, of course, uh, their high school teammate who, who also chose Alabama. And I want to um, to use some of the comments from that story because there were a decent number of those comments as a way of furthering the recruiting topic we started off the show with. And I think you'll see from some of these comments some of what I said before that exists 
for both the good and the bad, you know, related to people's response to all this. I think you'll see some of that in these comments. So in light of Georgia not being a huge factor in some big recruiting decisions here this weekend, this is what some folks had to say about that. Mac Dog on the pages of DogNation.com says, I don't think the dogs really, quote, missed out on Booker. I know UGA recruits all the top players, and Booker was one of those players. He means the offensive lineman who chose Alabama. But his decision was never really in doubt. He was an Alabama heavy lean all the way. And, Mac, I think while what you're saying is true, I think what some Georgia fans would say in response to that is that the fact that it wasn't more dramatic, there wasn't more mystery and intrigue leading up to the decision in and of itself is the kind of the problem there that that you know there was almost no drama whatsoever ahead of the decision shows you how far removed Georgia really was in that for a Booker. Falcon 1103 also writes, the UGA is looking is losing out because of these last two years with excellent recruiting classes and nothing to show for it. High class recruits want Clemson, Alabama, Ohio State because they always get to the playoffs and for some reason develop better. I mean, we've said this before, and I think to a degree that you do have to acknowledge that the next threshold for Georgia to cross over and and you've got to take these elite five star recruits that are coming into the program and you've got to turn them into first round picks that that Georgia's draft success, their story on draft day the last couple of years has been good, but it really hasn't been great yet. Maybe this is the year that changes, and if it does, then Georgia probably is a much more substantial national championship contender than it has been the last couple of seasons. But, you know, your best pass rusher doesn't need to be a second-round pick. It needs to be a first-round pick. And you could cite, you know, multiple examples of that where you've got to really be that team getting its name called a bunch on Thursday night to really get recruits attention and right now Georgia's got the kind of deep roster where that kind of breakthrough can occur but it needs to occur I mean that's the thing that you can't sugarcoat here that you know taking elite you know top 100 level recruits and turning them into third and fourth round picks is not going to be enough to truly get the attention of the next generation of elite top 100 level recruits and obviously Georgia has it all out in front of them to to really demonstrate what recruits want to see but there is some growing need for Georgia to do that as I said during the regular show for now what happens on the field for Georgia is more important than what happens off the field in recruiting that if Georgia handles its business on the field then recruiting will take care of itself and if Georgia doesn't handle its business in recruiting then at that point in time you know, you can't expect any kind of, or I should say if Georgia doesn't handle its business on the field, then at that point in time, you can't really expect any kind of recruiting win to cover that up. The time is now for Georgia to do some big winning. It's not a national championship or bust season, but it's a season where the end of season results need to be better than they've been the last couple of years. Moving on with more of your comments here. Montana Dog writes in to say IMG didn't work out well for the dogs today. Here are the latest 22 recruit rankings per 24-7 sports, and you see Georgia coming in at number 10 right there. And I think based on the composite, Georgia's still third in average player rating. So there's still a lot going well for Georgia in recruiting, and there's, as I said before, a very good chance that Georgia gets an elite running back in Branson Robinson to commit this week. So there are a lot of programs who would love to have that kind of good recruiting news on the forefront for the program, and that's obviously true. And yet at the same time, you can't help but acknowledge, boy, there's been some there's been some decisions here lately that Georgia just hasn't been nearly as much of a factor in as you're used to seeing. Randy Glass writes in to say, our inability to get to the college football playoff and the lead offense is finally coming home to roost. The, the very top four and five stars, especially on offense, are telling the dogs, prove it, and then I'll seriously consider you. I think what Randy's saying there is potentially very fair. He says, until then, we'll continue to sl- slip in the recruiting rankings each year until we're mediocre again and not nationally relevant. It doesn't have to be that way. I mean, I think it's important to note that while your diagnosis of what has been true may be correct, there's a lot of reason to believe that could change here this season. He says this year may be the most important one in the history of Georgia football. It's certainly a very important one. Uh, Randy goes on to say the CFP and the high-octane offense will set us up for great 2023 class and beyond. Otherwise, it's going to be death by a million cuts over the next few years. Just the honest truth, my dog friends, don't kill the messenger. I think some of what Randy says there is true. Some of it may not be, but some of it is true. That you will see a regression with Georgia's recruiting at some point if the end of season results both on draft day in April and on you know end of season in terms of being the college football playoff if 
if, if Georgia doesn't pay off big in those months, December, January, then in April, if Georgia doesn't pay off big in those months, eventually there probably will be some recruiting regression with this program. It's just naturally natural to assume that's the case. If you go back to the winter, it's one of the reasons why I talk so much about that need to produce like half dozen or more first round picks. Some of you thought I kind of hit that nail a little too hard over and over again. But I think what you're seeing playing out right now kind of explains why that's true that that's what recruits really want to see, and maybe this is the year that Georgia's truly able to show that. Interesting comment from Randy there. Timothy writes in to say, this is Timothy 1952, he writes in to say, you got to have better coaching and development. Nothing beats that. And the development part of this, the spotlight will be on that, that, that Georgia's got former number one player in the country, Nolan Smith, former five-star Adam Anderson. You can look at that outside linebacker spot in particular, if you were to assume for a moment that denied Dennis Sutton may be trending away from Georgia, at least for now. Who's to say that can't change again before Thursday? But based on some of the chatter coming out of State College, that was what the chatter was. So if you want to impress the, whether it's, you know, re-engaging with the denied Dennis Sutton or the next generation of a player like that, doing something big with Adam Anderson and Nolan Smith right now is the time to do that. By the way, a very interesting spotlight right now, I would say, on Dan Lanning. I thought it was a huge coup and continue to think it was that Georgia held on to him during the offseason. But boy, you know, those days in which Georgia was just stacking tons and tons of five-star outside linebacker type prospects, that seems like it's that seems like it was a little while ago, doesn't it? Kind of seems like it was a little while ago. Obviously, looking for big things from those guys on the field here this year. Vet Dog writes in to say, y'all, everyone just needs to take a big dose of, quote, calm the flip down. He says, these are kids and they changed their mind. Al Davis always said, just win, baby. That's what solves recruiting issues. And furthermore, I believe it's a stretch to say Georgia has a, quote, issue at this time. Kirby always closes like a freight train in recruiting. Summer recruiting rankings change so much before December. And furthermore, two words, transfer portal, enough said. The transfer portal part of this obviously changes the discussion a little bit, but I don't think you want to see Georgia become what Florida has become, which is the kind of team that has to fill roster holes every single year via the transfer portal. That is not a long-term solution to make yourself an elite program. It's just not. I think you know a lot of what else you say is obviously true here, Vet, which is that there are still opportunities for flips. There are still big wins for Georgia to probably get. A lot of this does, I think, hinge on how well Georgia performs during the upcoming season. Just a little bit eye-opening, though, over the course of the last couple of days. It's like <sighs> the line from the country song, when the phone's not ringing, you know that it's me. Right now, that phone's not really ringing for Georgia when it comes to some of these recruiting battles right now in a way that we're just not quite used to say. Not used to seeing, I meant to say. Montana Dog also mentioned the start of the name image likeness era. I know that there's a lot of noise about name image likeness on the recruiting trail. It's something that recruits are really interested in. I, I can't say, though, that I have any sense that what's happened or will happen for George in the coming weeks or months when it comes to recruiting is all that influenced by name image likeness. There's a lot of curiosity around that, of course, but I can't quite say that I think that's a huge impact right now. I mean, we're not really. I know there was a lot of attention that got paid to the Texas A&M guys. Two of them that got the ten thousand dollar radio deals for the interviews. You know, it seems like kind of a lot of money. It's important to point out that's only two players, and there aren't going to be very many of those kinds of deals going around. It's not like every player on the Texas A&M roster is getting a ten thousand dollar interview deal. A couple of players are. Ten grand, if you're curious, is about the going rate for a professional athlete. Think about like. You know, NFL players going on sports radio stations, something along those lines. About ten thousand dollars for a you know middle level player. You know, quarterback Tom Brady used to do an interview in Boston each and every week. He's probably getting more than ten grand. Um, but for professional athletes, that five figure total like that is about the going rate for something like that. Of course, it's important to also note that when a NFL player goes and does a weekly sports radio interview, there is the assumption that 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 player is going to be pretty forthcoming. He's going to talk about what's going on, going to go on. He's going to share his feelings. No question is off limits. For the most part right now, with a lot of college athletes, that's not quite what you're seeing. There's still, even in a name image likeness era, a fairly tight level of control over what they can and can't say during an interview. And, you know, frankly, the marketability of players, you know, 
is going to be limited because of that. Whereas you bring on an NFL player, you interview him on a sports radio station, the thought is you can ask him whatever you want. You played bad in the game, that's a fair game to talk about. Your teammate played bad during the game, that's a fair game to talk about. Right now in college athletics, we're not quite there yet, even in the name, image, likeness era. So there won't be like endless examples of, of what you saw at Texas A&M because of that, probably. E-Rock writes in to say, um, uh, about the idea of uh, Kirby Smart being impacted by name, image, likeness. And I think one of the things you see is, you know, Georgia kind of rolls with the punches here. Much the same way you might somewhat notice some Georgia fans saying, oh, Kirby's not adjusting quick enough to the name, image, likeness era. There were some people a year ago who said, oh, you know, Kirby's not adjusting quick enough to pandemic-style recruiting when there are no visits and, and, and things along those lines. And, you know, the fact is Georgia bounced back very well and still put together a very good <laughs> – excuse me, a very good class for last season. I don't think anyone's saying that Georgia won't bounce back and put together a good 2022 class there as well. But when you have a string of decisions and Georgia's not really a huge factor lay in any of those decisions, as I said before, a lot of Georgia fans are going to notice that. Uh, one Sikkim Dogs One writes in to say, getting better coaching development at schools like FIU, Liberty, Miami, Ole Miss, and Auburn. I don't think so. Look at the latest. He's responding back to somebody else's comment uh, about just development there at Georgia. And obviously you do want to see continued player development at Georgia. I think you see lots of examples of that taking place. Obviously Jordan Davis is an example of that. Eric Stokes was an example of that. You can cite a lot of high-level stories of big-time player development at UGA. It's hard to miss a lot of that, frankly. Uh, you, you can certainly see that. And yet, an entirely new threshold of that is something that's that's really necessary for this upcoming season. That if Georgia is going to be a national championship team, it is going to be because Georgia has a collection of players who play at an elite level together. You can't have a great team without great players. I know it seems like a simplistic elementary point, but it's really true that there is no such thing as hey the you know the the parts of the whole are greater than the sum or whatever the phrase that people use it's not quite the way the college football works that national champion a year ago alabama loaded with household names loaded with superstar type players lsu the year before that loaded with superstar type players getting superstar type seasons from the players in your roster which means developing those guys who are former elite recruits that is the name of the game for georgia this upcoming season i know uh, Mike Griffith wrote a story at dognation.com on Monday about one of the media entities not putting any Georgia players other than punter Jake Kamard on its first team all SEC for the upcoming season. I say it all the time. You know, that can't be true at the end of the year. And if it's hard for some media entities to find that first team guy at the beginning of the year, that lets you know the work that needs to be done because you are not going to be a national championship team. You're not going to be an SEC champion team if you don't have like six at least first team all SEC guys by the end of the season. So Georgia's got to get busy producing those and getting those guys ready to play. Uh, a couple of more. Let me see if I can. We'll make this the last one. Stone writes in to say that recruiting going forward, even more so in the past, is going to be about roster management, player development, playing for championships. The added unknown is going to be the impact of name, image, likeness. To this point, Kirby has been able to sell Georgia as something new, but that's getting old. And that part is true. So this, I've said this before, is that in 2016, 2017, you could sell, hey, we're changing the culture here at Georgia and come here and be a part of that and get yourself some early playing time. That message doesn't work at Georgia anymore because of how deep the roster is, that when you get to the point where Georgia's roster is as deep as it is now, you better be able to sell tangible results. I think that what Stone says there is certainly a fair thing to point out. He goes on to say, just look at the current roster. Without the transfer portal, we'd be missing a quarterback, two cornerbacks, and a wide receiver. Both the offense and defense would be hobbled. Having to go this route is great for winning, but it does not speak highly of the staff in general. Maybe that's true, maybe it's not. I mean, I will admit that I did notice the other day when Pro Football Focus ranked its highest rated players in the Georgia roster. I don't know if you take PFF serious or not. You're free to do so or not Add your choosing. And I'm fine either way. But according to Pro Football Focus, the two highest rated players on the Georgia roster per their metrics were uh, Tyke Smith and, and Eric Gilbert, two players that just arrived via the transfer portal. You'd prefer that probably not be the case. And who's to say it is the case? I mean, maybe Pro Football Focus is just wrong. But it got my attention that they rated – 
incoming transfers to the program higher than current players on the Georgia roster. And Stone points out there are other transfers worthy of that conversation there as well. He goes on to say, with all the talent that has been recruited by most measures, this talent's not developed when you look at first-round draft picks. Unquestionably, Georgia needs more first-round draft picks. I'll keep saying the same thing. This also may be the year in which those first-round draft picks come. Look at the guys on this team who are juniors and seniors. Look at the guys on this team who are at least three years removed from high school, if you want to think about it that way. There are a lot of them who could be about ready to pop in a big way. But the thing I'm not going to sugarcoat is that needs to happen. It's it's time for that to happen, and it very well might. But it's but it's not it's it's not a moment too early if and when that does occur. And I think that Stone's kind of bringing that up. He says the rest of his comment. Think about also all Americans, first team all SEC is the standard, which is also a pretty good way to measure them there as well. He says I know some will reference the first round tackles from a few years ago. But the coach who developed them now is the head coach at Arkansas. And, you know, maybe that's fair, maybe that's not in reference to Sam Pittman not being here anymore. But the overall point that Stone brings up, I think, is true. And this is why this upcoming season matters. That Georgia has a chance to take as good a collection of recruits as almost anybody in the country has, with the exception of Alabama. And if the Alabama roster is deeper, it's only by a tiny, tiny fraction. Small, small uh, amount the Alabama roster would be deeper than the Georgia roster. This is as envious of a roster as any team could put together. The rest of the country just looks at it and says, boy, I wish I had that talent. Georgia's got that talent. They've got a schedule that provides you a nice group of high-profile games, Clemson, and then on the road at Auburn, and then the game again against Florida, and maybe an SEC championship to showcase your talent, some manageable games in between those high-profile games I just mentioned. This needs to be the big year for Georgia. A lot of Georgia fans believe that is going to be the case, and it's one of the reasons why we're buckled in and waiting to see how it all plays out. But there's no doubt that the byproduct of what Georgia does on the field is going to impact recruiting either for the positive or the negative here for this upcoming recruiting cycle. It is all connected and it is all based on kind of the positive momentum this program puts together over the course of the next few months. We'll watch that. We'll pay attention to SEC media days this week. We'll listen in on Branson Robinson making his decision there on Thursday, denied Dennis Sutton there as well to see if Georgia can get back involved in that one after some online chatter this weekend suggest that was going the other way interesting times for georgia football and we're happy to talk to you about it here on our program thank you for being here for rs andrews cool down check out rsandrews.com for your air conditioning heating plumbing and electric needs look at your air conditioning tune back up to factory fresh specs also find them online for any kind of electrical issue or, or plumbing issue those systems inside your house that sometimes malfunction R.S. Andrews can work on that and get it fixed for you. So check them out today. We'll see you back here tomorrow for Dog Nation Daily, presented by Pella Window and Door of Georgia. I'll look forward to seeing you then, everybody.